You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. A sermon from our series entitled Walk by Faith. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right. So we, or y'all, have been in a series in Hebrews 11 where we have been just kind of taking snapshots. This is the Hall of Fame of Faith, for those who are unfamiliar. Taking snapshots of some of these great saints of old, right? Men and women uh, who have seen extraordinary things happen in their life. But what we've seen is that there's nothing really extraordinary about them. They're just normal dudes and dudettes, right? Who have all sorts of struggles. There's fear and there's questions and there's doubts. You know, we saw that Sarah last week, she didn't have a perfect faith. In fact, she laughed at God, but yet got, she had faith. And we saw Gideon was terrified, but yet he moves. And so we've seen all these things. And, and the common theme is they're just normal folks, just like us. Elijah was a man with a nature just like us. Right? And that's, that's the goal of that is so you don't think, oh, yeah, but that's super Christian guy. No, no, there is no super Christian guy. Well, there is. There was one. His name was Jesus. But that's it. Everyone else is just normal, sinful. And it's to show you that you can walk by faith. That you can have a life that reflects the gospel. And, and another common theme what we've seen in Hebrews 11 is that your faith is best seen when things go sideways. Right? You don't see, uh, by faith, Joseph went to Disneyland and had a great time. Right? You don't see that, right? Because, yeah, you can go to Disney and walk by faith, and maybe it's really challenging to not trip the fast pass people, like, you know, when they're going by you, like, yeah, because they're evil and satanic, right? Because you've been waiting an hour and they get on in two minutes. That's wrong. Okay? It's not, it shouldn't happen. But whatever. Maybe that takes faith. But re- in reality, it, that you don't see faith when things are going well most of the time. It's when you're staring down Pharaoh, it's when you are looking at the Red Sea part, right? That's when faith is best seen. And so we're going to look today at the story of two sweet ladies who find themselves in a tragic, just heartbreaking situation. And how did they walk by faith? And, and it's the same situation, y'all, that in this room right now, I know some of you have walked. So when we, this will be fresh. And raw for some of us. Uh, but yet there's something there for all of us because, because God has called us to, to hear these stories and to walk by faith just like these, these sweet ladies. So let's look at, at their story and we'll, we'll talk about what we can learn uh, from how they walk by faith. All right? And their story is seen kind of at the end of the chapter. In fact, it's in the section when the writer to Hebrews is kind of like, oh, I've run out of time. Okay? So he just kind of starts bulleting real quick. So he says this in verse 32. What more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That's Daniel, right? Quenched the power of the fire. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. And then there's this, this phrase, women receive back their dead by resurrection. And that's where we're going to kind of zoom in on that portion. What is he talking about? Women receive back their dead by resurrection. So let's do a little basic Bible study methods, right? Because I want you to be able to study the Bible for yourself as you learn how to do that through how just even I proclaim it or some of the guys do it. So basic Bible study methods. First step of Bible study methods is observation. So we observe the text. So we see the first word is there, women. All right? So 
what this, let me go back to high school for just a second. Is the word women singular or plural? Very good. First service got that wrong. Okay, maybe it was nine o'clock. I don't know. But somebody said singular. I'm like, no, 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 right? Yeah, it's plural. And if it's plural, that means it has to be a minimum of how many women? You're on the ball. Someone said one in the first service. Again, so I'm thinking, man, first service people don't know, don't, can't trust them for much, right? So, so we know that there's at least two women who receive back their dead by resurrection, okay? And, and again, sometimes it's easy to blow by a statement like that, but think about that. Women, at least two, receive back their dead by resurrection. That's not very common, in case you were wondering. Like, people coming back from the dead, not very common. Even in Scripture, I know we think, oh, all these people kind of coming out of the grave, it's like the zombie apocalypse in the Bible. It's really not. There's only, outside of Jesus' resurrection, eight people, specific people, in all of Scripture that come back from the grave. Right? And out of those eight, three of them are found in the Old Testament, which is what this text is kind of referring to. And so and if you go and do your little Google, and if you have like a little study Bible, it probably refers to them. But there's three, out of the three in the Old Testament, one of them is this kind of random, weird story. that it, it's, it's this one verse found in 2 Kings, you can read about it, where these buddies, their buddy dies. And so they're burying their buddy, and they're kind of digging the hole, and all of a sudden over the mountain comes the Moabite raiders, and they're like, we got to get out of here. They're going to kill us. They just happen to be standing next to Elisha, the prophet's tomb. So they open his tomb. They throw their buddy in. They're like, he won't care. They throw their buddy in. And they start to run. And as soon as his body touches the bones of Elijah, he comes back to life. And then they're like, okay, now which way do we run? Do we run away from him? Or do we run? Because that's not normal, right? That, that's not what Hebrews 11 is talking about. Because number one, those were men. And number two, there wasn't a lot of faith there. They're just on a, in a rush. And that happens. But the other two events do involve two ladies. And there was faith. And so we're going to look at them. And, and we're not going to look at them in chronological order. We're actually going to look at the second one first. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. Now you're like, where is that in the Bible? Open to your Bible to about a quarter of the way in. And you'll be in the middle of the historical books of the Bible. Remember, your Old Testament is not put together chronologically. It's by types of books. So you have the Pentateuch, and then you have the historical books, then you have the poetic books, and then you have the prophetic books. Okay, that's how it's organized. And so the historical books of the Old Testament are Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. And so 1st and 2nd Kings is just like the story of all these different kings, David and all these guys, right? And we're in 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're not going to have time to read the entire narrative because it's long, but we're going to hit some high points. But this is Elisha the prophet. Elijah the prophet was first, and then Elisha. J becomes before S. That's how you can remember it. That's how I remember it. Okay? Alphabetical order, right? But so Elisha, this is the story that he's going to be kind of working with. And here's what happens. One day Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. And whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put it there for him to make a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp so that whenever he comes, he can go in there. So you have this wealthy family living in Shunem. It's in northern Israel. It's on the way to Mount Carmel where kind of Elisha lives. And, and Elisha's constantly going through this town, right? It's like Macon. It's like, it's like Macon. Right? Okay? You know when he really, you know, he's like kind of the only thing in between Atlanta. It's, so it's a good place to stop. There's a Chick-fil-A right there off. You know the exit. 
right? You get off the Chick-fil-A, it's a little hard to turn left out of there, but it's good, right? Um, so, so this is, that's what this is. And so this, this family, the wife says, you know, he's always coming through and he's a man of God. Hey, honey, I got, a, I got something for you to do. Build out the garage apartment. And every time old boy comes and his servant, they can crash here and, and we'll feed him and it'll be a great ministry for us. And the husband's like, fine. And he does it. And then Elisha utilizes this. And so in the next passage, you don't, we're not going to read it. But Elisha says, man, this is awesome. We come to a nice place. They got AC. They got a nice bed. It's a double. They don't have to stay at Motel 6. This is awesome. He's real thankful. And he goes to the family and says, what can I do for you? I mean, I know the king. I know the generals. You want me to talk, talk you guys up to them? I, we're just very thankful. They're like, no, we're good. We're just a blessing. We want to bless you. So Elisha goes to his servant. He's like, man, what can I do for this couple? This just is so kind to us. And, and Gehazi, his servant, says, well, the, old, the man, the husband, is an old dude. And, and the wife has no children. Right? She's, she's barren. She can't have kids, which in that day, again, we've talked about it. It's, it's just, you know, there's nobody to take care of you. Kids were just such a blessing. It was the, your family continued to go on. So Elisha says, ah, great idea. And he says to the woman, he says, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, here's my version, shut up. Right. She says, no, my Lord, oh man of God, don't lie to your servant. That's not, no, I don't want kids. No, 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 no. See, somebody else. That's not the heart of that. The heart of that is, there's no way. I've been dreaming of this my entire life, and I'm barren. I've always wanted a son. I've always wanted a child. I don't have children. Don't, don't tease me, Elisha. Don't promise me something. Don't get my hopes up, and then dash them. But sure enough, she bore a son about that time, the following spring. As Elijah said, and you're like, man, that's awesome. How good is God, right? This sweet family, they're blessed in Elisha. God blesses them. Isn't that how it works, right? Verse 18. And the child had grown, so he's a little bit older. He's probably three or four at this point. He goes out to his father in the fields among the reapers. He says to his dad, oh, my father, my head. Dad, I got a headache. This hurts. And father does what fathers have been doing for 5,000 years. He says, take him to his mom. So they carry him to his mother, right? Verse 20, and when he had lifted him, he brought him to his mother, and the child sat on her lap till noon, and then, listen, don't, don't miss the tragicness here. She's cradling her son all morning. She's probably singing lullabies to him. She's hugging him. She's praying, and he dies in her arms. You're like, what in the world? <laughs> I mean... What in the world, God? I mean, what it, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and it's, what she does next is very strange. Verse 21. She takes the body and she lays him up in the garage apartment. And Elijah's uh, room. And she shuts the door and goes out behind him. And, and, it, and it seems that she doesn't tell anybody. She didn't even tell her husband. Look at verse 22. She called to her husband and said, Send me to one of the servants that I'm, and one of the donkeys that may go quickly to the man of God. i got to go to Elisha. And he says, Why? He doesn't even know what's happened. Why, why are you going to go to him today? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. The idea is it's not Sunday. It's not church day. Why are you going to the preacher? And she says, the Hebrew shalom, one word, peace. It's okay. Just, just got to go. Got something to do. So he sends her. Verse 25. So she sets out and she comes to the man of God. So it's about a 20-mile journey. She's riding donkey. Uh, and, and Elisha and Gehazi, the servant, they see. They're like, ah, there's a Shunammite. Ah, what's going on? 
Elisha says, run to her, meet her, and say, is all well? Is all shalom with you? Is all shalom with your husband? Is all shalom with the child? And she says, shalom, peace, yes, all is well. But we know it's not. And so she finally gets to Elijah, and she falls on her face, and she catches hold of his feet. And Gehazi, the servant, is going to kind of try to push her away because that's not proper behavior for a woman in that culture with not her husband, especially the prophet. And he says, Elisha, leave her alone. For clearly there's not peace. Clearly she is not okay. She is in bitter distress And I love this line, the Lord, Yahweh, who tells me all sorts of things. I'm a prophet. I see things. He has not told me this. He has hidden it from me and has not told me. And so then she speaks. She says, Lord, did I I not say, don't deceive me? Did I not, did I didn't ask for a son? She's asking that question, that that age-old question. Why? Why, God? I mean, I never asked for a kid. So now you give me what I didn't even want, and then you rip it away? Why? Why? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. This is a sweet family. She's, a, she's generous, and she's kind, and she's godly. And you know what? The text doesn't answer why. But you know what's interesting? Is despite the fact that she doesn't get it, despite the fact that all that, I, her faith is seen, where is she? She has got on a donkey, she has rode a day's journey, and she is clinging to the prophet. And in that day, the prophet was symbolic of God, his presence, his word. She is going where the only place she knows to go, to the feet of where God is. And even when Elisha tells Gehazi, okay, go back, put my stick, my staff on the, on the baby's chest. You can go back with Gehazi. She's like, no, verse 30. She said, As the Lord lives, her faith in God, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. I am here. I am not going anywhere. Where you go, I will go. You represent the presence of God, the power of God. I'm here. Right? And so they start heading back to the house. Verse 32. Elisha came into the house. He sees the kid. And remember, he knows this little boy. I mean, I I I don't know what his name was, but I'm thinking, man, maybe they named the little boy Elisha. Who knows? Right? Elisha Jr., after the guy who prophesied, oh, you know, I can't prove that. Don't write that down like Bill said. His name was Elisha Jr. But he, he, the point is he knew this kid. He would come by and stay in the garage apartment and they'd eat supper together and a little guy would like smile over at him and they'd play winking games and he knew this little boy. So he goes up on the bed he's so used to sleeping in and he shuts the door behind him. And he's going to do the only thing he knows to do. He's going to pray. He's going to pray, right? And he's going to ask for something radical, something that's only been done at this point in human history one time before by his mentor. He had never done it. He had never raised anyone from the dead. He had never prayed to raise anybody from the dead. It's going to be, so this is a, like a new, new ground for him. But he's going to ask his God to bring this child back. So verse 34, and he went up and he laid on the child. And, and again, this is not, you know, Israeli CPR. Okay, don't, don't think that. I know he puts his mouth on his mouth. He also puts his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. I took CPR. I was a PE major. That's the one thing I do remember. It was compressions, two breaths, right? And now they've even taken the two breaths away because I think everyone's a germaphobe. And so it's just compressions. But this is not biblical CPR. There's something symbolic going on, eyes on eyes, mouth on mouth, you know, hands on hands, whatever. And he stretches himself upon him, and he's praying, and then he starts feeling the body of this little boy get warm. Then he gets up, 
He walks around the room. I don't know what he's doing. He's walking around the room, praying probably. And he lies on this little boy again. And he's praying and praying. And all of a sudden, in the middle of his prayer, he feels this, this body jump. Achoo! Woke somebody up there. Good. And not just one achoo, he sneezes. Now, why does he sneeze? I got no clue. Uh, and it says he sneezes seven times. Now, don't get all like crazy, you know, biblical prophecy guy. Seven is the number of completion and the seven churches in Revelation. So this somehow relates to Revelation. It doesn't mean anything, okay? It's not the seven churches of Revelation are each represented by one sneeze of the boy. There's no Bible code there. You know why it says he sneezed seven times? Because he sneezed seven times. I don't know why he sneezed. Maybe he was allergic to Elisha. Maybe Elisha was wearing his kind of, you know, wool jacket that day. I don't know. But here's what I do know. The kid was dead. And now he is alive. And so Elisha picks him up. He summons the mama. Called her. And she came to him and she said, pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet. She was clinging at his feet. Now she's falling at his feet, bowing to the ground. She picks up her son and she goes out. Woman received back her dead through resurrection, right? That's just one of them. The second one happens a couple, a couple second one we'll look at happens a couple years earlier, actually, in 1 Kings chapter 17. So just kind of flip back a couple pages, 1 Kings 17. And so that was Elisha. We're going to look at Elijah. And, and just so you know, historically, where the, this kind of time frame falls, Elijah the prophet lived during what was probably the most wicked king and queen of all of Israel, Ahab and his wife Jezebel. I mean, even still now, you can't name anybody in your house Jezebel because Jezebel was such a Jezebel, right? So no one's like, yeah, we're going to name our firstborn daughter Jezebel. Oh yeah, really, that's great. No, no one does that because this woman was so wicked. That's the culture in which they lived. She was endorsing Baal worship, trying to get all of Israel to worship Baal. Right? Her, her, her husband was a weak sauce king. Uh, and so he kind of let her did it. And so one day, Elijah the prophet shows up at Ahab and Jezebel's place and says, you guys are so wicked that I am going to pray that it's not going to rain and it's not going to rain until I pray it rains again. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And then he goes off and guess what? It don't rain. And God has him hiding him by a brook. And, and, and miraculously, every morning and night, the ravens would bring him meat and bread. I'd have been a little skeptical, but... He, that's how he eats. No sand, hand sanitizer there. Right? You know, every morning, every night. And eventually the creek dries up and God says, okay, now I'm going to provide for you. I want you to go up into Jezebel's hometown and there's a widow there. She's going to provide for you, which is an oxymoron because a widow by nature needs to be cared for. He's not going to care for. But Elijah trusts God. He goes up there. He sees a widow gathering sticks and he says, lady, can you get me a glass of water? Can you get me some Dasani? And she's like, I'll get you some Dasani, yes. He's like, oh, and here's what we pick up. Can you also get me some food? Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives. Notice she knows who he is. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She's like, all I have left is like a little flour, enough to make a cupcake for me and my son. And we're going to eat that cupcake, and then we're going to die. How hopeless is that situation? And Elijah says, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Go and do as I have said to you, but first make me a cupcake. 
bring it to me. That sounds like a nice prophet, right? Feed me the cupcake, and then you can have... But he, he doesn't need a cupcake. He's trying to test her and her, see her face start coming out, right? He says, as the, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour should not be spent, the jug of oil should not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain. If you will give me first, then God will provide for you. That's a, that's a hard spot for a widow with a little boy. But what has she got to lose, right? So she does it. She went and did it, and, as her, and her, she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was never spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, just like God said. I mean, think about that. Think, think about that miracle. That's pretty significant too, right? I mean, it's not coming out of the day, but that's pretty big. I mean, you, can you imagine your kids run down every morning, and the box of Frosted Flakes is just always full? Right? And, and in the jug of milk is always full, and you're like, this is unbelievable. Because whether you knew it or not, you could eat Frosted Flakes for lunch and dinner. Okay, that's a good thing, because they're great, right? Uh, so every morning, every night, some of you got that. You're like, come on now, Tony the Tiger, come on. Every morning, come down, box. I mean, so that you're just like, man, isn't this awesome? Look how God has done. And, and, this, and there's hope now. This widow who goes from hopelessness, we're going to die, now has hope that God is going to preserve her. Isn't it awesome? Isn't God great? Then the son of the woman became ill, and he died. Right? His illness was so severe, there's no breath. And you're like, what in the world, God? Why do you promise this woman you're going to protect her and provide for her? Start doing it. Just when she's starting to taste and see that the Lord is good, gone. Right? And she has kind of a very similar prayer to the lady we just saw. She goes to Elijah, what have you against me? Oh, man of God, have you come... To bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son? I, I, is, this, is God judging me because I was bad and now he's taking away my kid? Is that, and we're not very far off from that, right? Because we think, oh, if I'm good, God will make things good. And if I'm bad, God will make things bad. So oh, everything's going good right now and we just won the state title. And so God must be happy with me. It's the same, you know, we have that same warped logic. But that's what she's saying. God's punishing me. He killed my son. And Elijah, he doesn't answer. He just says to her, give me, give me your son. And he took her from her and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged. And he puts the little boy. Again, he loves this little boy. He plays with this little boy. He eats frosted flakes with this little boy every morning. And every night, he lays him on his own bed. And I love his response. Remember, Elijah is maybe the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He's one of the only two guys in all the Bible that never died. Right? We looked at one earlier. Clint talked about Enoch. Okay? Only two guys never died. Elijah and Enoch. Even, even you say, oh, Jesus is alive. Yeah, but Jesus did die. He resurrected. Elijah never died. He did unbelievable signs. He was a stud. But look at how he kind of responds to God. He says, verse 20, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? What is he saying? God, what are you doing? You send me here, you tell me to promise this lady she's going to be fine, and you kill her son. What are you doing? She's so sweet. She trusted you with her last cupcake. How could you do this? Right? And so he is going to do the only thing he knows to do now. And just as a side note, 
Isn't it great that these great men of God are clueless in the sight of what God's doing sometimes? I mean, and, and, and they can go before God and say, God, what are you doing? And our God is, is grand enough and great enough to be able to handle those heavy questions. Read some of the Psalms and David's like, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Has God forgot him? No, but God, God, God can handle our questions. Not disrespect, but questions. And so Elijah is going to pray. Now Elijah is going to pray something that has probably never been prayed and it hadn't happened yet. He's going to pray for this little boy to come back to life. First time in all the scripture. So this is like, there's no precedent for this. But here's what Elijah does know. Elijah knows that his God told him that if you pray, it's going to stop raining, it's going to stop raining. And it did. Elijah knows that his God said, go to this creek. I'm going to have these big old birds bring some Pop-Tarts and some Chick-fil-A every night. Or whatever. And they do. God says, I'm going to make this flour and this oil never run out. And it did. So if he's seen God's faithfulness in these areas, then he's thinking, well, God can do this too. No, he doesn't know if God's going to do it. There's no like, oh, I know he's going to bring it back. But he is going to pray that his God would bring this child back to life. So he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord. And two things about his prayer I want you to notice. Notice first the simplicity of it. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. It's not some fancy King James, thou, thee, thou, hallowedest God of the mighty, please. God, bring this boy back. Simple. God's not impressed with your long prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying long. Um, it's just not. Short prayers are okay, are good. Long prayers better be. All right? That's our motto. Okay? Because God is not impressed with our words. That's you, Mark. That's your, that's your deal. Okay, he's not impressed with your language. You don't need to speak Greek, Arabic, and Pig Latin to him just to make sure he knows you. Just, God, this is this. God, bring this kid. So the simplicity of it. Also notice the persistent. Three times he prays, God, do this. Nothing happens. God, do this. Nothing happens. God, do this. Nothing happens. And, and Jesus himself teaches us. Pray without, with persistence. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Paul says, pray without ceasing. God delights when his children continue to knock and seek. Right? And so, God answers. Underline it in your Bible. The Lord listened. He heard. Just a reminder, y'all. Okay? And, and, and I know we kind of take this for granted. Your God, Jesus the Savior hears you when you pray. Your Heavenly Father hears you. Whether it's an internal prayer or external loud yelling. Whether it's just the quiet in your heart. Our God listens. He listens. And in this case, He answers. And the life of the child comes into him, and he revived, and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber of the house and delivered it to his mom. And he said, see, your son lives. And the woman said, now I know you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. And again, I'm thinking, you didn't get, you know, the Frosted Flakes trick wasn't enough, but you know, whatever. But here's the idea. She lives in Baalville. This is the home of Baal, the god of fertility, the god of life for their culture. And yet, Baal is dead. In fact, you can read the next chapter in your spare time later today. 
uh, where the prophets, 450 prophets of Baal are calling out to Baal. Baal, please answer. Baal, please. For all day long. And the text goes out of its way to say, and there was no answer. It was silent. No one heard. But yet when Elijah prays, boom, Yahweh hears. Because ours is a God who is alive. Even, the, even in the text. As the Lord lives. As the Lord lives. As the Lord lives. Our God hears. And he answers. And so he does. So what can we learn from women who are given back their dead from resurrection? I mean, there's a lot of lessons that we've already talked about. Like, weak faith is not necessarily always a bad thing. And doubts and questions is not, you know, unusual. Gideon had those and, and Sarah had those. Let me give you two kind of big picture points. Right? Not easy points. But important points for us to grasp. Here's the first one. Walking by faith does not mean things are going to be easy. Right? That's pretty, that's hard to grasp, but that's the truth, y'all. And the reason that's important for us to just get is because we live in this little southern culture, Christianity, or often we grew up in the church, and we just kind of, you know, faith is the magic pill, right? Just have to have faith, right? Just faith, Romans 8, 28, God works all things together, just faith. And that is theologically true, and that is biblically sound. But often, if that's just like a, a cliche that we put on our bumper sticker, it's not real helpful. I mean, if you go to Gideon, all right, think about Gideon's story. Philavo kind of unpacked it. He's outnumbered 450 to 1. That's not good odds. 450 to 1. It's about the same odds that the Braves win in the series, by the way, just so you know. All right. See, I'm back, and you're happy. Big odds. And, and on top of that, his army is armed with basically a modern-day flashlight and a kazoo. Okay, that's what he's armed with. And the instruction for God is, fly, shine the flashlight and blow the kazoo. And you and your 300 men are going to conquer the 135,000 men. Okay, so if that's the situation and Gideon's in charge, you're going to go up to Gideon and be like, just have faith. Just believe. Right? Yeah, I get that. But that doesn't mean his knees are not knocking. That doesn't mean it is easy. Or Abraham, who was told by God to take your one and only son, the one you love, your beloved Isaac, the, the miracle boy that you had when you were 100 and your wife was 90, and take him up on a hill and slaughter him, offer him as a sacrifice. And so as they're walking alone after, for that three-day journey up the mountain after he leaves everyone behind, and his son, who's probably 20 to 25 at that point, by the way, says, Dad, I mean, we're going to worship through sacrifice, but we got the wood and we got the fire and we got the stones. We got everything we need. We don't have the sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham has to look with him and say, God will provide. Just have faith, Abraham. When Jesus is sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking the Father to remove this cup from him in agony about to become the curse of sin and take on all of our wickedness and unrighteousness on himself. Just have faith. Doesn't make it easy. Doesn't, you don't go to a, a lady who just has had a miscarriage and say, well, you just got to have faith. You don't go to that, to that 26-year-old who's been dating this person for four years and thought they were the one and all of a sudden it's over and they're like, what? Just got to have faith. The guy who's lost his job and now he doesn't know how he's going to pay his kids high school tuition. Got to have faith. 
right? Uh, the, the, the marriage that's struggling, the, the, uh, the person who uh, has physical ailments and just is in physical pain all along. And we have, you, many of you know the sweet Caroline Moore who, who is currently paralyzed, godly young woman just sitting on a hammock and, and it just happens to, a tree limb comes and falls on her head and she's paralyzed, godly, just have faith. Can't feel anything from the neck down. It's not that, yes, that's true, but we don't just, it's just not that callous, y'all. Sometimes walking by faith is hard. When you are slandered or you are criticized unjustly or gossiped about, which, by the way, has been very prevalent in the last couple of years in this body. Lots of, lots of yapping. Un, unjustly and with half-truths. When, when you're on the other side of that, and you, you can't do anything about it. It is, it is not easy. It's hard. Right? It's hard. And so let's, not, let's, let's own that. Let's, let's, let's not just have this prosperity theology. Well, as long as I do good, then God will do good. That's called Baal worship, actually. That's not actually Christianity. Because Baal worship is, I, I, if I offer a cow, then God will make it rain. If I'm good, he'll be good. If I'm bad, actually... Understand this, sometimes when you're in the middle of the chaos, you're actually in the middle of where God wants you. So don't, don't think that just because everything's falling apart that, that actually you're, you're in, under God's discipline. Maybe, but not, more than likely not. And don't assume, by the way, that if that family over there is really struggling, that God is judging them. Because we do that all the time too, don't we? Well, you know, their teenagers are going a little bit buck wild. It's because they're not good parents. Don't, don't go there. Well, he lost his job. That means there must be, there must be some secret sin. Don't, don't go there. It is not your job to decipher the will of God for people. And when we do, we usually mess it up. Right? We usually mess it up. It is hard. Marriage sometimes, as much as you love your spouse, is challenging. Is that true? All the wives are like, yes. All the husbands are like, I ain't, I ain't going there. Yeah, you know, okay. Right? Because my life was in first service, so I can say this. Right? Marriage is challenging, right? Is that true? Married people? Yes? Amen? Single people. Singleness is hard, is it not? Right? You guys are like, oh, I love it. I'm great. Okay, maybe I'm wrong there. But for those who are single and want to be married, that's hard. Guarding your purity, if you're really serious about that, high school students, middle school students now, college students, singles, that is a hard, that is challenging in this culture. Getting out of debt, living out of debt, that is difficult. Forgiving people who have hurt you, exes, parents, employees, employers, neighbors, people in my community group, people of God. That is not easy, but that's okay. Here's, here's what we do. We do what the Shunammite woman did. We, where does she go? To the only place she knows. She goes to the feet of the prophet who represents God. What do you do? You cling to your God, y'all. And even if, even if you could cry out all you want, and, and I encourage you to do it. Please fix this, God. Please do this, God. But in the end, whether he does it or not, you stay there clinging. Right? There's a song I was just riding in today, My Mercy Me. And I'm not necessarily a Mercy Me guy. I'm more of a, like a Lecrae guy. But that's all right. I'll, I'll deal with some Mercy Me. But it, it's these great lyrics. It says, I know that you're able. I know that you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. See, that's faith. Faith is, I know my son is dead up in that room, but I am 
begging and I'm in, the, I'm in the presence of God. This is when the disciples come to Jesus and Jesus teaches this sermon and everyone's like, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. He taught that you, if you want to follow me, you have to drink my blood and you have to eat my body. And there's thousands of people and now they're down to 12. And the disciples are like, Jesus, you just really blew up this church plant. Okay, we had like mega church, now we're down to church plant again, 12 guys. And he says, are you guys going to go too? And their response is great. Where are we going to go? You offer words of eternal life. That's, that's faith. Whether you do it or not, whether you fix it or not, I am clinging to you. That's what we do. Because in the end, y'all, he is the God who resurrects. And the second point real quick is this. Is it's not easy and walking faith does not mean you'll have all the answers. Elijah's like, God, what are you doing? Elisha literally says, God hasn't told me what's going on. And that's on purpose. God limits his servants so that you don't trust in his servants. Because I promise you, I don't have your hope. Okay, the prophet doesn't, he wants you to trust not in his servants, he wants you to trust in him. And that's why God puts his limitations on it. Right, even though he's the, quote, man of God. Right? And if you're in a season where you're getting your, your teeth kicked in physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is. You may or you may not get answers. I'm just telling you. You may get the why. You may not get the why. But here's what we do get. We have a God who hears. Look, I, some of my closest friends have had some of the toughest seasons of their life the last two years. My two best friends in the world. Except outside my family. And I've asked God why a thousand times. I haven't gotten a clear answer. But here's what I do know. He hears my prayers and he is good. He is good. He is good in sickness. He is good in blessing. He is good in even when things are falling apart. He is good. In the words of Mr. Beaver from Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, is he safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You have a king, church, who's given himself for you as a ransom for your sin. And now he says, look, I know what it is to suffer. I know what it is to struggle. I know what it is to be rejected. I know what it is to physically hurt, mentally hurt, spiritually hurt, to be empty. I emptied myself taking the form of a man. So I get it. So now cast your anxiety on me. You don't have to worry about that. I know you want to because it's, you owe this much money or you got stress at work or, or you're hurting physically or you lost a spouse or you lost a child. And, it, and he's not saying, it's all, oh, it's okay. He's saying, but you can bring that to me. I get it. Cast all your anxiety at me because I care for you. That is our king. What, king, what other king can say that? Nobody. This is, this is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And he may give you the answers and he may not. But one day you will get all the answers, I promise you. He tells us, now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I know in full. And when we do know in full, Romans 8 does teach that the sufferings of this present time, whatever it may be, as great as it may be, it is not worth comparing to the glory. This is the time of struggle. And that's not easy. Look, I know some of y'all struggles. I sit with you. I know our pastors and, and, and some of the, the ladies that kind of come along. I know the pain. I know the struggle. I know the hurt from experience, but also just being with you. But I can promise you on the authority of Scripture and your Savior that it will not compare to the glory that will be to reveal. And that's where I cling. 
And I know it is true. Why do I know it is true? Go back to our verse in Hebrews. I think it alludes to it. They receive back their dead by resurrection. It's not by accident he uses this word resurrection. And it's interesting that in Scripture, God gives us these little pieces of, of kind of previews of what Christ would do and then ultimately what will happen. Now, not everybody gets raised from the dead. Jesus only raised a few people from the dead. He walked by many a grave. But what he accomplished in his death and resurrection is to remind us, Christian, death will not master you. It will not have dominion over you. That nothing in heaven, on earth, under the earth, no principalities, not rulers, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. How do I know? Because of the resurrection. How do I know Jesus is going to raise us up? Because he came out of the grave. The hope for the Christian is not to float off into heaven and have a mansion in glory, which is not even, that's the King James Version, it's not even a good translation. It's a good hymn. But the, it's, the point is not, you get a mansion, you're going to live on Bel Air Street in heaven. That's not the point. The point is you will live forever, resurrected, physical body, glorified body, in a perfect new heavens and new earth. That is the hope of the Christian faith. It's not to sit on a cloud and sing Kumbaya for all eternity. That quite honestly would not be exciting. But being in the perfect place where Jesus is there and all joy and all comfort and all ever, that is where we're going. And, and whatever happens here is tragic. That's why, Christ, that's why Hebrews 11 says they were sawn in two. That's not a good way to go. Sawn in two. I'd rather like, you know, just kind of fall over. Sawn in two is not a good way. How can they do that? Because they know something great. How can Moses reject living as Pharaoh's son and go live in the wilderness eating manna and quail? Because he looks, the reproaches of Christ is greater. This is greater than this. That's what we do. And, I, and I'm not trying to be callous. If, you, if you're struggling right now, and I know some of you are, like our prayer team will be in the hall and they would love to give you a hug and pray for you. In whatever way. I'll pray for you. If you want the elders to pray for you or staff, fill out a card and say, please pray for me. We're, my marriage is struggling. And don't just, if that's the case, come talk to us because we have lots of folks that can help you and work through that with you. That's what the church does. We're a family and we encourage one another as long as the day is still called today until Jesus returns and makes it all right. And he will. How do I know? Because he's the God of resurrection. Right? So let's stand and let's worship him for what he has done. Father, I pray as we just reflect and sing really the truths that we, that we believe. We believe that you are faithful, that you are good. That every good and perfect gift comes down from you, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, there's no shifting shadow. We're going to sing that we, uh, because of our faith, are children of God. How great the love of the Father that he would make us uh, his children, and such we are. We're going to sing that you are always faithful. We're going to sing that you uh, will never leave or forsake. Lord, I know that, that, that they sometimes feel like words and they don't, they don't land where they're supposed to. May your church, by your spirit and on the authority of your word, believe what you have said. That we are who we, you say we are. That you are who you reveal yourself to be. And that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. It's in Christ's name I pray.